welcome to part two of Manos the Hands debate. In part one, forums user Ben Solo discovered a working print of the cult flop horror movie Manos the Hands of Fate and has made it his life's mission to restore it to its uh, full glory and make it available to the world at large. However, ulterior forces are intervening. So he's getting into Scream Magazine. He's printing out pins for the Kickstarter. And one of the things was that they were hoping that they could get this used for the for the mystery science theory people for riff tracks. They were going to do a new riff of Manos that they announced. And they were hoping that they could use this one. But here's a quote from Michael J. Nelson. Who's a riff tracks yeah. guy. A few people have asked, and just to clarify, our upcoming Manos, the Hands of Fate live show with Fathom is unrelated to the HD restoration of Manos printed by Ben Solovey. His projects are still going on, looks fantastic, and the information is right here. As it is, our version for the Fathom show is a nice theatrical print. I'm quite sure you'll prefer it over the available VHS versions, but it is not his print. When his Immaculate Restored print becomes available, I will be one of the first in line to get it. I will be dressed as Torgo in an attempt to curry favor. But then so will everyone else in line, including the women. So it's not getting used for that, but the people involved are still very much like, we want to play ball with you. We want to use this when it's available. Right, just didn't line yeah, up. Here's the little pin. The pin looks really cool, the logo. Oh, yeah, that is a great pin. Yeah. But those are, that'd be a good thing to have. It's maybe something to look for later, I guess. Yeah. So there's, you know, the restoration is getting ready. And one of the fun details is, like, with it being restored, you can see the can of lighter fluid in the background that they used for a sea with fire, oh, yeah. which is very funny. God, that's a dope robe. Yeah, no, dude. his for people who have never seen it, the master in Mano Sense of Fate, he has a robe with, like, giant hands coming up on each side along, like, his, like, flowing wizard sleeves. It's very cool looking. So, like, imagine, like, uh, if you have, if you're, like, doing a T-pose and the cloak like kind of sweeps down to your legs to make it kind of like a half circle shape on either side of those circles. It's just the cloak is completely black except for a red V neck that's coming down and then a massive bright red and like angular kind of corpse like hands are uh, on either side of the, the totally black robe. So it's a hell of a look. Yeah, it is very interesting. Like like sixties Texans thought like, Weird, like, weird, like, Satanists look like. <laughs> what did the Texans think about the <laughs> yeah. occult? And he's doing, he starts doing his more rewards. He has these very nice-looking shirts, his rewards for people who backed it for the Manos restoration team. One guy who's super into it is like, oh, yeah, I commissioned a quilt of the Manos hands cloak because I like the movie that much. That's It tight. is a very nice-looking blanket. While this is going on, eventually, on August 4th, so now this is about 10 months from when he discovered it, they are doing. Uh, they are screening the film in the same place that the original film was screened. The actual theater that they showed it in was demolished, but they have a theater that's just on the block from it. And so they're showing it. Mm-hmm. Basically, he's really going out of his way to make the premiere be really nice and respectful and true to the original movie. Just again going above and beyond. Oh, no. All that. While this is going on, uh, someone uh, in July releases a Manos the Hands of Fate like fake eight bit uh, platformer for for phones and PC and stuff. Because it's in public domain, so anyone can do this. So while he's doing this, there are other Manos projects that are happening. And just because of the fact that they're all working on the same thing, they come to get to know each other. And they have, like, pretty nice positive relationships. That's so weird. Like, nobody gave a shit about this. And then suddenly people have the access to it. And so now it's just, like, everybody's pushing into it. Yeah, there's one that comes up later where some people did, like, a puppet show version of it called Manos, the Hands of Felt, where they're all puppets. Oh, I mean, Hands of Fate's already pretty good. Yeah, and it's actually like a pretty cute, funny thing. And like they totally worked with him. And I think it's like an extra on the final DVD. Like that's the thing is is Ben Solo successfully worked with a bunch of other people that were doing Mano stuff. It's just Rupert was just it was just such an asshole. He's Rupert is is just the one that didn't work this whole time. And when they did the Rift Tracks live thing where they riffed on um, Manos, they showed some clips of the Mano sequel and it looked like shit. Like one of the people in Cindy says it looks like one of those insane clown posse movies that they show on hbo at 3 a.m starring david allen greer like <laughs> yeah the, the and st cloud posse's made a they made a western called big money wrestlers oh god of yeah course it's, they it, did. It, it, it's i the, can't bring myself to hate those guys no but I, yeah. I yeah no i like them a lot <laughs> now but yeah they um yeah their movies are very much the bad on purpose type it's just not my thing and so um el paso times is you know the city where they air this does an article about this 
And while he's working on this, they talk about the sequel. And basically, there was going to be a screening of the movie shown there, and it got canceled because Rupert was threatening the studio. The movie theater wouldn't say who who was threatening them, but it's obviously Rupert. Right. He's just pulling the fire alarm on everybody. Yeah. Another great... So now we're in August, and there's another great Rupert quote here. It's from an article from the El Paso Times. He thinks the whole notion of cleaning up and restoring an old print, no matter who's doing it, is wasted energy. It's expletive manos. It'll never be any more than it is. It is what it is, Murphy said. His name's Rupert Murphy. It is why we do what we do. Doing anything else to honor it is preposterous. It's like somebody lovingly restoring the Zapruder film and setting it to music. Okay. Horrible comparison. Okay, that is a wild comparison. Restoring the Zapruder film, arguably pretty fucking Yeah, that would actually be a huge Um, thing. a, A pretty impactful thing to do. That said... When Columbine happened, they didn't send the cops in for like hours and hours and hours, right? After like, even after the last gunshots like rang through the school, right? So when they first sent cops into the Columbine school, they took like a camera with them and they, they filmed a bunch of it as evidence and stuff like that. But the cops also like destroyed a whole bunch of evidence of like how they fucked up so bad and how they allowed this to happen and get as bad as it did. And so after the media kept pressuring them to release video footage of like the first sweep of the school, like they eventually caved to pressure and sent the media a VHS tape of like the first walkthrough of the school with like the dead kids on the ground Set to the uh, the track "My Heart Will Go On" by Celine Dion. <laughs> and and like they never answered as to why they put the music on there, but that is just a, a true wow. story. That is lost media that I don't necessarily want to see, but it is actually out there. <laughs> That somebody has that somewhere. Or, or like the recording of the Challenger space shuttle when it blew up. Like, they, we have those recordings, right. but we're, we're just not going to release them ever because you don't want to hear people die. That's horrible. God, they, I think the cops also destroyed the Columbine journals, too. So they just they just completely destroyed all the evidence of the whole thing, which is just like... Yeah, that's so unlike cops. They're <sighs> usually so helpful and intelligent. <laughs> Yeah, I know. As a goth, that's it fucks with me. You know what I mean? Like I was compared to those dudes for a long time, and now we can't look at the source source material. And also, just, just for this guy to be like his thing is he's simultaneously trying to act like he's supporting the original movie and then shitting on it and be like the movie sucks. It doesn't matter. You're wasting your time. Just everything about this guy is so like over the top and loathsome. And then, um, so now we're in September and they get on Facebook where they're talking about the merchandising. Someone posts about it in response. They're saying, um, now they're starting to claim that it's being copyrighted. They're saying that they can't use the characters because that actor they talked about earlier, the guy who's the son of the sheriff, he pops up and he's saying, you're causing harm to my dad's copyright. Stop doing this or I'm going to issue a cease and desist order. And a quote here, this is serious and could potentially cost a lot of money if you pursue this without asking and covering your butt. Now this sheriff's son guy is helping Rupert and is trying to intimidate people into stopping working on this. And Ben pipes up here if you want to read his response to that. Ever since the Rift Tracks live show, the director's son has been harassing anyone that he thinks might be intimidated into giving him some money. This includes myself, the creator of the iPhone game, the city of El Paso for exhibiting the film, Jackie Neiman Jones, and Tom Neiman because he wants a cut of their benefit shirt. So far, there's no proof that what he's saying has any basis in fact, and he's had no success. His business partner made him some big promises lately. For instance, that it's possible to take Manos out of the public domain after 46 years in spite of many, many decades of legal precedent that says otherwise. I've dealt with his business partner before. He likes to use the pseudonym Rupert Munch. (laughs) It seems like Joe believes anything he says. So, huh. yeah, so Rupert is, like, worm-tumming this guy and telling him that he's, like, uh, he's, like, he's he's having a convinced, no, trust me, we're going to be able to get this thing copyrighted again. We're going to make so much money. You just have to do all this stuff. And and this, this poor guy got suckered into him. This is the one person who couldn't see through his bullshit. It's never good when your story has more than one Rupert.
Yeah, we can just cut that one. If nobody's going to say anything after that, we're just going to let that one go. <laughs> and so he's doing some more screenings. Um, one of the things he does is he gets to actually travel and find like one of the sets. He, one of the things he's doing is he's filming while he's screening these things to make money. He's also going around and he's shooting stuff for documentaries and extra footage to be on the Blu-ray. Cause he doesn't want to just restore the film. He wants to give like the full context of it and basically do what he can to really preserve its history since he's in the area and there's all these people and everything. So right now the plan is right. that's going to be coming out in summer of 2013. So we are, um, so we're in May of 2013 now. It's been a year and a half and he's still traveling around promoting it. He gets to meet Quentin Tarantino, which is really cool. And then um, and then finally, in August of 2013, uh, they find a distributor. Synapse Films is releasing it. So August 1st, 2013, we're almost two years into this odyssey. And now they have a distributor. So things should be starting to wrap up. This feels like things should be getting to the end, right? Yeah. Here's one of the pictures of Manos, the Hands of Fell. You can see that's the puppet version of Torgo from earlier. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's a lot more elaborate than yeah, I thought it would be. Yeah, they're actually Muppet that's puppets. A... It's not like a sock puppet thing. These are actual puppeteers. Yeah, that's that's really nice. Just some more extra stuff of him exploring the ground. Over the sets, yeah. yeah. And they're like selling movie posters as fundraisers. Because the thing is, like, on top of the... Oh, that is a dope fucking poster. It's a good poster. And it's like two color, like, I, this looks like it's like a screen yeah. print or something. So it is a screen print. It's like it's a completely black ground and a completely orange sky. You can see like the the shattered remains of a house on the ground. And there's this enormous black hand picking up the the house off of the ground. And it's got it quite a distance in the air. And it's all of the debris of the house as well as people falling out of the house as if like a hand of God just ripped this house. Yeah, it's very cool and evocative looking like this is totally something I would pick up at like a film like a road show or something if this was touring. So, so, so he's working hard to keep making money for this while to fund all this. And here's a picture too, where that's, um, that's the master, the guy in the robe. And that's the oh, little wow. girl. They're still around oh, and okay. they're, they're, they're totally in support of this and they're helping him. They're doing interviews and stuff with it. They're going to screenings and the very fun aside here. So we're October 31st, 2013. A guy on the uh, Criterion DVD forum is really pissed off. And I'm going to read his little angry nerd rant here. It's very funny. I finally failed a claim with Kickstarter. Enough is enough. The film is going to be screaming in Helsinki, Finland before we receive our Blu-rays and DVDs. That's just a bridge too far for me. Ben, the guy who started this Kickstarter, is touring the film around the world and has forgotten the reason why people donated to this project in the first place. I spoke with Synapse and they said that the link that the ink is essentially still wet on the deal and they have no word on when a release will be happening, even though the last extremely vague update from this guy was that it would be out in the fall, after several other updates say winter, spring, etc. The original arrival date was said to be August 2012, which came and went with no word on why the delay happened, and his eventual explanation of the delay was so dishonest that it's laughable that rights issues on this public domain film were holding it up while he was busy showing up at every Manos-themed screening and puppet show on the planet. I live nearby the Colonial Theater, yeah, the one from the blob, and reached out to suggest it might be a good location for... <laughs> That's a very fun shout-out. You're... Yeah. The one from the blob, you might have heard of it. You know you're on a movie dork uh, DVD subform when that's an aside, like bragging point. It reached out to suggest it might be a good location for a screening because they show MST3K episodes, often visits by Joel Hodgson's, and it's got a great reputation for unrelated revival screenings, and got the most achingly hipster response about how he feels that MST3K has been a detriment to the film and doesn't want to be associated with it. Of course he saw the film before MST3K ever showed it. Of course he did. He also heard about the arcade fire before everyone else, too, I'm sure. So he's just ranting at this point. God... Like the hatred of hipsters, it, it's like people just pick a group and hate them, obviously. But like the whole world of just like despising hipsters for thinking certain things are cool or cooler early or something like that is very funny to me because it's like, oh, but it doesn't fucking matter. None of that shit matters. Who cares if somebody likes Arcade Fire? It's it, it's like such a very, very like early 2010s kind of bullshit thing to be mad about. It's like still talking about avocado toast. Yeah, or, or like still now. being mad about hippies. Or like soy milk. Like what you you're still mad about soy milk. Yeah, like this you're is serious. 2013. By this point like hipster had just become overused to the point where it was just like a snarl word. It didn't mean anything. But Right. 
hipster. Yeah. So, so we're two years in and people are starting to get a little antsy and, you know, on one hand, it is a little understandable, but at the same time, Ben has been working hard and he comes back, he's giving yeah. updates. So as someone who has done two pretty elaborate Kickstarters, um, logistics are absolutely insane. Like it, my, my second tarot deck took months before it could even like hit people because it, it just took so long to like print everything. I had to stop and like, I realized I didn't like how the book was written. So I had to rewrite the whole book. Like it takes months and months and months and then just printing it, you know, you, you have to print, cut all of these things and package them and then ship them from overseas. Like it just takes an enormous amount of time. So if you're doing a Kickstarter ad, six to 12 months to everything that you're doing because it's going to take way longer than yeah and also this is 2013 so this was around the point when the first big wave of kickstarter projects started to come to completion and either like were Mm -hmm. coming up short or were disappointing so people are starting to get a little a buyer's remorse for the kickstarters now i feel like now people have much healthier expectations about crowdfunding but this was kind of the point where people are starting to panic when like you know like mighty number nine was was coming out or like the all the big first wave of stuff is coming out and being disappointed so people are starting to kind of panic a little And Ben Solo shows up, and of course, he gives a very nice explanation for everything. I'm worried now that he's going to turn out to be the asshole here. But let's see what he has to say. Nobody has to like the delay of backer discs. With an outside party attempting to create doubt about the film's public domain status, ripples were created that we're still feeling to this day. We are Manos the Restoration, not Manos the Blu-ray. He was never simply buying a disc, but contributing to the entire process of getting it there. Second, the legal threats were very real, and everyone who's dared to create a Manos project over the past two years has experienced them in some way or another. From simple harassment to, in my case, a full-on cease and desist order. The main reason for the theatrical screenings, which are not profitable, is because I retain theatrical rights and I want people to be able to see the restoration sooner and don't need anyone else's approval to arrange them. At least the thorny legal threats that led to these problems did evaporate, though it took some time to, to clear the air. In the end, we successfully defended the public domain status of the film and we are prepared to do so again if need be. That's a reasonable yeah, response. He's, he's I, handling I, this very well and even acknowledges like, yeah, I maybe haven't been giving updates as often as I should. I'll try and be better about that. But a lot of this is part of the reason why it's taking right. so long is just because Rupert's fucking everything up. And also it's because, like you mentioned, right. getting things developed like this, it takes a long time. And so now we're in November of 2013. They're still doing screenings. A very interesting side effect of this is he uploads the soundtrack uh, to the movie to Bandcamp, and it's a Creative Commons release because it's in public domain. And somehow Mary Claire, mm-hmm. Marie Claire Taiwan puts out like a little video set to the Manos, the Hands of Fate soundtrack, including like bits of dialogue at the end. It's very weird if you've ever seen the movie. I included a link in the doc just because it's so uncanny. Not the people I would expect to uh, to jump into that. Yeah. <laughs> And he talks a little bit here where as part of the, the behind the scenes for the doc, for the disc they're putting out, he talks a little about the camera and he has a picture of it. And he talks about how, yeah, this was a hand crank camera. One of the last things we're adding to the disc is a brief discussion of the Filmo 70, the model of the 16 millimeter camera used to shoot Manos, the hands of fate. It's such a beautiful piece of machinery that I couldn't resist the chance to talk about the effects that it had on the production, both positive and negative. In addition to camera geekery, this supplement should help underline just how much discipline was required for independent film production in the 1960s. If you've ever been frustrated by the limited time recording of today's DSLRs, imagine you have to carefully replace a 100-foot daylight spool every 2 minutes and 45 seconds of shooting. And if you're accustomed to focusing by eye... Imagine not being able to both frame the image and check critical focus at the same time. Working with very limited tools. Yeah, very interesting. It looks almost like a, like a, I don't know, alien. It looks like a landmine and a Tommy machine gun just strapped together. They look very strange. Yeah, it's like two drums, 
Beautiful. Yeah, machine, it looks though. really neat. It does not look like what I'd imagine a film camera to look like. And so now we're now flash forward. Now it's July 2014. So it's been two and a half years at this point, and people are going, "Will this come out or what?" A month later, someone says, quoting a month later with the same question. Jesus. So people are start people are starting to you know get a little antsy again. And one of them explains that the guy who's working on it at Synapse is a perfectionist and is very time consuming in his work. And so it's just going to take a while. And also it turns out more legal shit is going down and Ben shows up to kind of placate everyone. Just, he can't really talk too much. What he does have to share is not much insight. I can really share except for more of the same materials, but synapse themselves will have some official news on when it's coming out very soon. August 22nd, 2014. So we are now almost, we are two months away from being three years after this was found. And on a side of note, uh, speaking of film restoration, someone mentions that someone found a a VHS copy of super Horneo brothers, which is a whole other uh, goon saga where people, nobody had a copy of this porn parody of the 90s super Mario brothers movie. And Someone was, they've been searching for it and someone finally found it. So that's a whole other side story happening on that just happens to cross over with this one. You know, we, we were so sad when the Library of Alexandria burned. Luckily, we still have a copy of Super Horneo Brothers VHS still in box. Yeah, just wonderful. So here we are. So February 2015, we get the first test disc of Manos, The Hands of Fate. They're doing the quality control. All right. So uh, they put out a vinyl of the soundtrack. That looks pretty dope. Yeah, it looks really dope, like a hypnospiral. And also the co-owner of the label that's putting out the record is a goon. So this is kind of a goon project at every step, okay. too, which is interesting. Goons are like Scientologists. They're just kind of installed everywhere throughout, uh, throughout the American infrastructure. Yeah, they kind of gravitate to each other. Finally, they show off the cover art for it, and it looks Holy the cover shit. looks really good. Okay. Yeah, it's like a new painting. It's it's a it's like a painting of the man wearing the robe with the bright red hands. He's holding a torch, standing in front of a burnt effigy of a human being. Behind him is a kind of stage, and the columns coming up from the stage kind of resemble prison bars because there's kind of a ghoulish figure behind them all there's a woman in a long couple women in long red dresses as well as the doberman pincher mentioned earlier but the man is there he looks very much like a uh, uh, dante that guy that created his own kind of like master fighting art <laughs> i know exactly who you're talking about yeah yeah but he has a very dense mustache he, he looks like um, if dracula fixed cars Yeah, he has he has an insane widow's peak. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty bad. It's like the guy from the Misfits. Yeah, and those pillars in the back. If, if the guy from the Misfits like tried to sell you a motorcycle he made himself, <laughs> that's what this dude would look like. <laughs> yeah, you might recognize those pillars from earlier too when we were showing you the pictures of where they were shooting. Uh, oh yeah, that is from the when they went on so on July twenty second, twenty fifteen. It's finally up for pre order. Synapse publishes the specs. And a nice thing is, um, so while this is going on, uh, someone posted a link to Rupert's site. Uh, Rupert's site is gone now. It's just a Chinese domain parking site. So none of the stuff that Rupert did Oof. is actually up anymore. It's all gone. Rupert's movie never came out at all. So all that shit, all that shit he did, all that trouble he caused, his movie never even got finished. It, the project just fell apart. And you know what? He blames Ben to this fucking oh, yeah. day. And here's uh, Ben gives another update about the process. Our 35 millimeter preservation negative has been struck and placed on deposit at the Academy Film Archive. For now, I just want backers to know that their contribution to this project has ensured the long-term preservation of this film in 35mm format. Currently, the only truly secure method of film preservation. Yeah, so so he went to the expense of having a 35mm print made of this movie and stored in this vault for preservation. Like My friend worked in one of those vaults, which is like a decommissioned salt oh, mine. Those places are so cool. In Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, like, if you go deep enough into them, there's this, like, archives of like like the original black sabbath records are down there and like of course like 35 millimeter films and stuff like that it's because it's like a, it's protected from disaster but also it's like a super super easily climate controlled area because it's not like it's gonna 
have huge heat swells or yeah, or and the salt absorbs the moisture and everything. Yeah, so so Manos could very well like if we ever get nuked, Manos could like out could outlast us. It's that well preserved exactly. And also, uh, Roger Ebert died on April fourth of twenty thirteen. So this project went on so long that Roger Ebert didn't live to see the end of it, even though he did help promote it. Damn, he didn't even get to see yeah. it. Yeah, very funny thing. That guy that was complaining earlier on the forums, he got a refund for his Kickstarter, and now he's still complaining that he didn't get the Blu-ray for the donation he did, he refunded. So he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah, no, I that's Kickstarter, man. He talks about it later. But yeah, there's always one guy like that. Whenever you do something like this, it's whenever you deal with the, the public on the internet, you're always going to have one guy. And this is doing so well that he's actually, since this is sort of wrapping up, he's already starting to get started on other projects. Like, he wants to do a restoration of a movie called Monstrosity. Some discussions people are having about preservation. Playboy magazine does an article about it. And this is, so something awful has been mentioned in Playboy. Because they mentioned it by name. (laughs) Uh, Also, his username is Ben Solo. His real name is Ben Solove. But Ben Solo is a Star Wars reference, so it's kind of cute. But also, this is before before the That's movies funny. came out that had a character named that. So it's by the time this is finished, that movie comes out and people are like, "Oh, Ben Solo, I get your name now." But yeah, after Solove posted his find on somethingawful.com, a clearinghouse for internet snark, his campaign began to gather steam. So. Uh, a, a clearinghouse for internet snark is a that's a very classy way of referring to the something awful forums. Yeah, that's the nicest way I could imagine it. It's also really funny as we scroll through these old threads to just see how many people have been perma banned for one reason or another. Yeah. So it's like you have these conversations and then you like you're looking back and be like, oh, yeah, that guy got banned for doing some fucked up stuff. I highlight one of them at the end. It's very funny. Also, a really nice detail is that apparently the um, the guy who played the act, the guy who played the master and the girl, little girl, that was his actual daughter. And apparently like they were estranged and working on the restoration, like the documentary stuff, like helped reunite them. So another very sweet thing that came out of this literally like reuniting of like a father and daughter who had stopped talking to each other. Damn, this is like our fucking our second story. And we already have an extremely rare good ending to something happening in a goon story like that does not i feel like a lot of these don't end on a positive yeah that was one of the reasons why i wanted to do this because in spite of all the shit it mostly it's mostly a happy ending and also it's like it's not a super funny one but i think it's very interesting and something like something awful something awful is a comedy website but not everything in it is is explicitly funny and the podcast is going to be the same it's kind of what the most beautiful thing is is like i have you know, just in my performing career and as like a career as an artist, you know, I have people that are like they're they write screenplays. But if I, I if I for some reason need it, I have a buddy who can show me how to taxidermy. You know, I have a buddy that can do this. I have a buddy that can do that. And so when you get like these huge forums, you can just get like these glimpses into so many different types of dudes that there are out there. You know, like, you know, people that are just that find an old film and then make it their career to restore it. And like he just was like a film nerd. And now he's like hanging out with like actual people. And it's like, you know, I, I'm sure he he might feel like Ben Solo might feel like, you know, an imposter or something like that uh, by, you know, he's meeting Quentin Tarantino and he's being talked about like he's this preservationist or or whatever. But it's like, no, but you're doing the work. You know, he's really doing exactly what's needed he's just not doing it through the conventional channels and that's lovely it really is and yeah like uh, since we're talking about that like uh, he has an imdb page now like this is what he does oh, good for he him. does film restoration and he so yeah this guy like he was he has a career in film now and just this whole thing worked out really well for him and good for him because yeah this is like this is the dream for any enthusiast to have to be given this gift i mean yeah. truly this is like the the band goes on stage and is like, our drummer is sick. Does anybody in the audience know all of our songs? And then the 17-year-old who's about to have his life change is like, oh, uh, <laughs> me? Yeah. Hey, kid, you're pretty cool. <laughs> and I mean, this is just one of the many, many stories of, uh, you know, Hollywood absolutely makes somebody's life better. Yeah, and you don't get many of those. So here we are. So... It's October of 2015. It's been almost four years, but the discs are going out. 
um, and everyone's being satisfied. Uh, a poster named Marshall Prolap shows up to post about it. And he says that he's the attorney on the project and his name is in the documentary and everything. And he's permabanned. And I was curious about that. So I looked at the <laughs> permaband. And the reason why he was permabanned is because he was posting videos of people getting killed in Ukraine. Oh, God. Yeah, so this is, like, a guy who, like, somewhere between... He's a lawyer, and somewhere between this and, like, this year when he got permabanned, like, COVID and Trump and the everything just broke him, and now he's just, like, fully politics brain worms. Oh, yeah. No, that was really recent. He was permabanned earlier this yeah. month? Like, yeah, November 2nd, 2022. Like- Your post history is filled with bloodlust and cruelty. This is not just about the post here, but about the pattern of your posting over the course of your time here. And the ban before that, don't post video of people dying violently. Like, these windows into people's lives, it's so interesting. That's so, yeah, because if, if someone is banned or permabanned or suspended or whatever, you can click it and it will tell you what it is that they did. It's kind of, um, you know, like a public flogging, so to speak. Or if you want to use an expensive word that I have written down on a notepad in front of me, exomologesis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's where you um, it, you admit to sins in a public public manner. I guess he's not admitting to it. Yeah, but they, call, they call it a rap um, sheet. It's like the list of all your punishments yeah, you've gotten. Yeah. And you can click on any of those punishments and it will take you to the post that you got punished for. So if a guy in a thread is being shitty, a great way to shut him down is check their rap sheet and be like, hey, are you the guy that got banned because you talked about having sex with your dog when you were a kid? And then usually that does the trick. Real <laughs> thing, by the way. God, that's what Twitter needs, man. Yeah. I want to, I mean, pre-Elon Twitter, I'd love to see some of the banned shit because, you know, that's that's what I'm here for, man. Yeah. Of course, that's the true crime that's still ethical to 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 get into. Yeah, and while we're having this really nice, pleasant victory lap, um, a website called DVD Beaver did a review, and to, to sort of wash the bad taste of the other forum out, they they give it a glowing review. They give so much praise. The movie comes out has all these special features, including you can watch. They included like the original public domain version of it that looks like shit on the disc, so you can see it and just appreciate how much better the restoration is. And everything is just going swimmingly. Oh, wow. And um, and here's Ben Solo kind of reflecting on it all. And I've highlighted his bits here. It's just a good opportunity to point out that if you ever fundraise online, you can expect at least one guy. It's always a guy that can't be pleased. Out of 818 backers, I had maybe five or six refund requests, all of which I gave either a whole or partial refund to. All but this one were completely civil and their reasons were understandable. When delays started stacking up, I expected a much worse outcome. And yet, as bad as things looked, last year, over 800 backers were still sticking with me. The most disturbing takeaway from the experience is that I received no reprimands, warnings, or repercussions from Kickstarter itself at the time. It didn't seem to matter how far past the ETA we got, who was threatening me, or how secretive we had to be during the legal battle. Might seem strange that I'm saying this, but if I fundraise the atomic brain, it could be better for backer confidence if I use a platform with higher levels of accountability, which is true, because I I had some people, you know, back out and stuff like that, and, you know, I I had some people giving me pressure for for my Kickstarters, um, and Lord knows, I mean... What is that? That Star Citizen is that? Oh the boy, game Star Citizen! There's an episode right there. That's a mini series. There's maybe. like six episodes. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah. So Star Citizen is a whole thing. Uh, there was like a, a Kickstarter game that promised like absolutely everything that could be done in a game could be done in this game. Like they would simulate entire galaxies and shit like that. And it's it's been like what fifteen years and they haven't released, but there's still Star Citizen. It's the definition of scope creep. Like it started out as like a space combat game, yeah. and now they're like trying to simulate like a whole galaxies and stuff. It's it's what I can't talk yeah. about Star Citizen. I'll be here all night. It's great. Just, I do love how first off that Ben is such a cool guy. His takeaway is, you know, they weren't hard enough on me, which is what a thing to say after going through all that, which is very true that Kickstarter doesn't have a lot of oversight or anything. That's a true thing. And also that one of our things when we talk about how, you know, we're learning from the past, like 
he, this guy had over 800 happy customers. He's had this one guy that was being a huge, you know, asshole about it, but it's such an outsized voice. That's what it looked like, like when I was composing the doc. And that's just something to keep in mind, you right. know, like whenever you're doing something and you might have someone like this, that, that for every person like that, there's so many more people that are never going to say anything, but are enjoying it and are happy. Yeah. I mean, you, you just have to keep working for the very best, you know? Yeah. And, and on top of it, in October of 2015, it gets name dropped on uh, "Best of the Worst" by Red Letter Media. Have you ever watched any of their stuff? Oh yeah, I figured it would be good. Yeah, no, there. I'm I'm a big fan of them. I like their stuff. And yeah, there's even like they even put this, the the uh, screenshot in there of the case in the video. Like they mention it. So this made it all the way up to like the kings of bad movies on YouTube. It's great. <laughs> oh boy, what is this? What is this twist okay, here? Okay, yeah. If you want to read his post here, this is very interesting. A Google alert just alerted treated me to a white supremacist website giving the disc a positive review which naturally disregards how Warren or my own Judaism. Bad movies lack the pseudo-intellectual quote sophistication or the quality production which is usually just a big budget rehash of Judaic PC ideology. That's a quote from the white supremacists here. So the Nazis continue this quote. In the featurette Restoring the Hands of Fate, although he likes to use the word schmutz a lot, Restorationist Solovey presents an almost aggressively Aryan type of an appearance, <laughs> modest and plain spoken. He takes the obvious pride in speaking of this fine German scanner he managed to obtain for the task. Did Warren anticipate the practice of fisting, which Edmund White called the only new sexual act invented in recorded history? Oh, man. That is a... Yeah, just, that was oh. such a... Nazis are like... Like, if... if Forget about the fucking morality of their evil bullshit. They're just the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet. And so it's very funny when you see them just like absolutely fall in line. To, they're like, oh, I can always I can always tell if someone's got Jewish blood. It's like you absolutely fucking yeah, his can't. name's Solove and he's using words like schmuck. His name's Solove. Like, oh, this this guy seems like a fine being... upstanding Aryan brother. <laughs> God. Oh, I, yeah, and, and just like <laughs> an almost aggressively Aryan. It's like, yeah, most of the Aryans I know, pretty aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> Self-described Aryans tend to be pretty and aggressive. A very funny detail on this site that I posted here is they list a bunch of white supremacist movie review guides. And one of them, it's called uh, The White Nationalist Guide to the Movies. And the cover is the Mystery Science Theater 2000 cutout of people from a movie. But the cutout is Hitler doing the Heil thing. Like, white supremacists are so oh, fucking stupid. God. And their aesthetics are horrible. Uh, their aesthetics are horrible. That said, the fact that they went through all of the effort to make that, I mean, I guess we have to cut back to the drill quote of under no circumstances do you ever have to hand it to ISIS. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to hand the na Nazis anything on having interesting uh design for their movie cover yeah, like if you ever like if you ever have imposter syndrome or worry about that you're not good enough to write a book the fucking nazis wrote a book about movies like you could do it and just kind of a nice note here his project that he did after this a restoration of like a 60s b-movie called the atomic brain it made twenty-seven thousand on a sixty thousand dollar goal it was successful he has an imdb page everything looks nice and happy i put a little billy mays meme here but wait there's more it's not over yet okay so so we get an update from Ben. So basically, this is a long press release here. I think you might want to read all of it. It's a little long, but we have to cover it. Manos, The Hand of Fate, a 1966 horror movie made by locals in El Paso, Texas, was called by Entertainment Weekly the worst film ever made. While that claim is debatable, there can be no doubt that this tale of a Texan family on a road trip running afoul with a polygamous death cult in the desert has provided a great deal of fertile ground for humor and creative inspiration since its release. Notorious but hard to find, Manos was finally popularized 27 years later after its release by the cult TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000, cementing its place special place in pop culture. It would, 50 years after its making, be voted the fan-favorite MS3K episode of all time. Manos has always been in the public domain due to Hal Warren, the film director's not having the film copyrighted, and the freedom of access allowed to the public domain has finally enabled it to find an audience. However, Joe Warren, one of Hal's children, is now seeking to trademark the phrase Manos, the hands of fate, 50 years after the fact, 
for his exclusive use, and this is not exhaustive, for both film and nonfiction books. The successful registration of this trademark would threaten the numerous incarnations of Manos, the hands of fate, past and present, particularly the creative works that have come from the movie being in the public domain, with legal liability for trademark infringement. Not only would the release of the film itself in any form become vulnerable, but projects such as the independent sequel, Manos Returns, the puppet adaptation, Manos, the Hands of Felt, two coloring books, a video game, a memoir, growing up with Manos, the Hands of Fate, two fiction books, multiple stage productions, and a number of creative fan projects. Yeah, somebody else made a sequel to the movie in the time between Rupert's thing falling apart and this. So his relationship with Rupert must have fallen apart because now he's going after even Rupert's stuff. Yeah, because this movie is someone else, though, that he's talk- they're talking about. So Rupert's thing fell apart, but now Rupert's out of the picture. This guy is still trying to make his money, so he's going after everyone, including a completely different sequel that someone else was making. Joe Warren has attempted, without success, to extract financial payment from the numerous parties in the past, incorrectly claiming copyright infringement on his public domain work. There is no reason to think that he will not continue the same activities if granted a trademark, however questionable it may be. We've seen Joe deploy these tactics against the numerous creative uses of the film since its release, and even against the restoration and preservation of the film itself. The trademark was recently approved for publication, due to Mr. Warren filing an intent-to-use trademark application. In other words, he has not shown any use of the mark yet. The typical scrutiny given to a trademark application... This is is all a bunch of, like, trademark stuff. We don't have to actually read all that. But, yeah, yeah, so basically this guy... So they are having to do a legal defense of the movie after it's been released because this guy is causing trouble. And they raise $4,600... On GoFundMe, and they successfully defend it. So luckily, that didn't go bad. But just he's still getting shit for this in 2017, a full six years after this was found. I'm not going to read it, but there's this whole scrawling rant from the person involved. Good God! All these people just shouting at the people who were involved in it on Facebook. Again, just a great example of seeing Facebook in comparison to this. It's just a nightmare. It's just people just shouting at you (laughs) as. Perfectly summarized by a goon. Christ, what an asshole. Right, exactly. And uh, sort of a neat little button here at the end. So on uh, October 15th of 2017, Manos the Hands of Fate was screened at the Museum of Modern Art. It's it's, it's a moment now. So it's preserved. It's in the Museum of Modern Art. All the backers got their discs. This movie is out there. Like Ben Solo won it everything uh, in spite of all these things that life just kept kicking up at him. Yeah, it looks like it, it, it all worked out for him. I mean, it looks like it was an enormous pain in the ass that lasted way longer than it should have. But, like, you can't really be too mad at him for all of this, you know? Because when you make anything of this level of undertaking, it's just, it's so much work. Now, now just imagine, like, how much more work it is to herd all of the actors and feed them and create the movie itself and then do all of this to, like, get it out there. Like, it's just an enormous amount of work. Yeah, and also, like, one thing about this whole story is it makes me appreciate is, like, the public domain, how good it is to have. Like, they talk about all this derivative work is being made off of this old movie that was considered one of the worst ever, and people are still finding all this use for it. It really kind of shows, like, how useful it is to have works enter the public domain. And I think now we're only getting stuff from, like, I can't remember the exact years, but we're only just starting to get movies from, like, the 30s and stuff enter the public domain. So getting something in the 60s like this, like, this is, like, what copyright should look like. This is interesting, and it's also, like, a good shot in the gut for anyone's imposter syndrome, because, like, this is not a good movie, but it's interesting that it exists, and sometimes that's all art needs to be, you know? It's better to create and learn something than it is to just, like, decide not to because it wouldn't have worked out anyway, you know? So, like, if you're worried about your work not being taken seriously, hey, it might not now, but maybe it will in the future. I just want to encourage everyone to always make new things. But Yeah, you know. like, as a late bloomer, someone didn't really start making stuff until my 30s. Like, a part of the real development of that was kind of that realization that, like, You know, the imperfections are what make art interesting. The flaws are what make it interesting. A a bad movie like Manos, it was made with real passion and devotion by the people making it, and it shows in that work, and it's fascinating, even if it doesn't fit the normal standards of artwork. It's whenever you make something like, 
if we want to make everything be perfect, like we can have computers do that. When people make stuff, it's imperfect, it's flawed, and those flaws are what make it unique and special and good. And when right. you learn to see those flaws, not as flaws, but as strength, all of a sudden creating is much more fulfilling and less stressful. It's it's a really good message to take away from this, that even a movie considered one of the worst ever made could inspire this much passion in people and be this meaningful. And like, I get the feeling like Winslow is not like a movie guy, but I get the feeling after this, like you might be interested in like what looking up this movie after this, because it seemed pretty taken. Oh, by yeah. It. I mean, like I've seen some of the, like the Neil Breen stuff, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh God. Which I love is Neil Breen like, so much. You know, just, it's just hot psychotic garbage, yeah. but it is an, just an interesting thing to watch because it's like I get all in my own head about like whether or not I'm good at what I do. And then I'll watch somebody else who is like, yeah, well, OK, how do I put it? There's there's a, a Patton Oswalt bit about a movie called like Deathbed, the, Deathbed, bed, that eats people. the bed that kills yes. or something like that. And his the kind of the conceit of the bit is that either the artist behind this made this thing in one fell swoop that was like, yes, and everything worked out and they made the fucking movie or they had a fraught relationship with the movie. They had so many obstacles and then they fucking worked through them. You know, like I think about that, about like so much good art out there is like, you have to keep pushing on through like numerous things that you just like, I don't know what to do. And, but you just have to figure it out. You know, like there's there's projects like, you know, for my tarot deck, like there's so much shit that I just straight up do not know how to draw. And then when you look back, you can see like, oh, yeah, I figured it out as I went. And then I just replaced the stuff that wasn't good. Art is a practice of like continuing to do the fucking thing. Yeah, like I have, um, like I voice acted for a game this summer and I was talking to the person who made it and I'm like, it's really cool how you're a programmer. And he's like, oh, I'm not a programmer. I'm like, you literally programmed an engine for a visual novel. And he's like, well, I, I'm an artist. I just had to do that to create my art. And that was like a very interesting insight into that where, yeah, it's like you might not think of yourself, but you learn these skills in pursuit of these goals. And that's how you become these things. Like, like I never would have thought I would be somebody who knows how to edit videos, but I was eventually, I was like, I want to make, I want to talk about stuff I like and I want to make the funny memes I see on the internet. So I sat down and learned how to do it. And now I'm a video guy and it's fun. I like it. Even if it's not perfect or polished, it's meaningful to me. And I've met other people that like it. And the great thing about creating art is like when people like your art, it's usually because they're on the same wavelength as you. It's a great way to meet people that you vibe with. Right. And like as somebody who works a lot of like anime and Comic-Con events, what you'll see is there are people who like really, truly learned how to draw. But I mean, I like I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. There's a lot of people that are very, very, very talented at this. Right. Um, But one thing that I've noticed is that there's a lot of people who like sat down and learned how to draw by the masters. Right. They learned how to draw the actual figures and then they just replicate, replicate, replicate. And so you'll see row after row after row of artists that are drawing either the same kind of Steven Universe style again and again and again, or the same comic book style, which is this like big titty superhero or hunky guy, big titty superhero, hunky guy over and over and over and over again. But they don't have their own expression to it. They don't have like their, what makes them them. They're, they're using the, this Google, what's the best tool for art? They buy the best tool and then they draw the thing like they just want to draw their own thing themselves. You know, if they could just take somebody else's art and write their name on it and say, I did this, they would. Right. And so I just, I don't know. I, I have a different relationship with art though. You have to remember that like the most defining feature of Swiss cheese is that it has holes. You won't get those holes in Swiss cheese. If you have a completely clean process, you have to have bacteria getting into the milk for that to actually for it to like create the pockets of bubbles and stuff like that to create the the hole so like you need to have these weird mistakes it's how you handle the mistakes it's how you handle the things that you don't know what you're doing that will define your your character as an artist yeah. 
And, you know? and as a critic, watching bad, watching bad media is good because it, it helps you appreciate good media better and it also helps you understand what works and what doesn't. Like, if all you watch is good movies, that kind of becomes your baseline. In a way, it kind of becomes, like, boring and samey. It's like, you're used to just sitting down and always being blown away. Sometimes it's nice to watch, like, a mediocre movie every now and then be like, okay, yeah, that's what that's what a movie, most movies are like. I'm glad I don't like that. I don't watch those. Or to watch a shitty one and see, like, what it's like when those rules aren't followed or broken you learn from it. Consuming bad art is uh, is constructive. It's a good way of improving yourself and also finding meaning in it. A lot of stuff that is like considered bad, it's still entertaining in its own ways. Absolutely. I agree. That's why we're both fucking masters of our oh, domain. Yeah. Invincible. All right, well, I think that's all we have for this week. Yeah, no, that's, I hope you enjoyed that story. It's nice to have something a little pleasant with a nice happy ending after a Compared to the usual death march we have here, but don't worry, it's going to get real don't weird oh, after yeah. this. We got we have some other stories that we're lining up. That's just gonna it, it's going to make you sit on the edge of your bed and just look at your hands. Yeah, stare into the middle distance for while you're eating. Yes, All right, great. Well, yeah. Well, um, as always, you know, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Jay Brandstetter. You can find out my other projects. Uh, this Wednesday, I'm going to be doing an open mic for the first time, so I'm probably going to have some. Good stories about that next time we record, hopefully. And uh, as always, you can find me on uh, at Winslow Domain or on winslowdomain.com. You can follow our pod on IFTI pod on Twitter. Uh, and we also, it should be up and running by the time you hear this. I certainly hope. Um, I'm putting together uh, Uncle Winslow's Picture Time on Twitter, which is going to be a bot that shares just random pictures from my hard drive that I've been saving since I was 15. And that is Uncle Picture on Twitter. And uh, yeah, shoot us a follow there and follow us on the on the original pod and we'll be we'll be sharing stuff as we go, okay? I'm really looking forward to that bot. I'm looking forward to seeing those pictures. It'll be fun. Alright, uh, until next episode then. Thank you. I'm from the internet was created by Jay Brandstetter and Winslow Domain. You can contact us at iftipod at gmail.com or at iftipod on Twitter. Intro and outro music by Steve is Broke. Audio engineering and editing by Kill Hamster. <laughs>